This is The Cash Flush, a programmer's audio scrapbook. It's Saturday, October 5th, 2019. I am your host, Avdi Grimm, and here is what's in the cash this week. Domain-Driven Design, Chapter 6. Every object has a life cycle. An object is born, it likely goes through various states, and it eventually dies, being either archived or deleted. Of course, many of these are simple, transient objects, created with an easy call to their constructor, used in some computation, and then abandoned to the garbage collector. There is no need to complicate such objects. But other objects have longer lives, not all of which are spent in active memory. This is interesting, not all of which are spent in active memory. It, it, um, it points to a kind of dichotomy in how we perceive the concept of an object in programming. Because on the one hand, you have an object as simply an artifact of a programming language. But then we also think about objects that persist persist in the database, persist in some serialization mechanism, and come out the other end, reconstituted. Which is interesting, because from the programming language perspective, they are, in fact, entirely new objects. Um, and, of course, many, many um, difficulties arise in, in you know, slight variations between, between uh, serializing an object and then recon reconstituting it at the other end. Um, but even leaving that aside, it's interesting that we think of objects, even though objects are very much programming language artifacts, we also think of them as persisting through when they don't exist in the programming language sense. And yet this isn't quite equating them with real-world concepts either because we're still thinking of it as that object that existed in memory and then was um, serialized. I can't help but contrast this in my mind with some of the, the concepts that were in, in discussion at the last uh, DDD con uh, conference that I went to, where there were some talks about temporal modeling rather than structural modeling and, and event sourcing, and how when you model your system as a stream of events, a stream of domain events that occur, the objects that arise can be ephemeral the objects that arise can be a projection of a certain subset of those events, which is useful in a, in a particular calculation, in a particular consideration, a particular view of the domain. Perhaps it's the security view, perhaps it's the business view, perhaps it's the point of sale view. Um, but in that point of view, the objects are explicitly not seen as something that goes beyond one in-memory representation. They arise, are used for their, used as a projection of the data for their particular purpose, and then um, are dismissed.
Several years ago, someone introduced the concept of imposter syndrome to the software industry. Um, and I think they did a, us a great service when they did that. I have not gone back and looked at who, who was responsible for initially bringing this to everyone's attention, but um, it changed, I think it changed the conversation in a really important way. Because suddenly we all realized that we weren't alone in these feelings that we have sometimes of, am I really qualified to be here? Um, it, I think it gave a lot of people permission to talk about feelings that they had not felt they could express before. And so this is good. But that said, I feel like the, um, I feel like the term has become overused. Um, I can't turn around without hearing somebody talk about imposter syndrome. I remember being invited on a podcast um, a while back and um, and they were like, we want to talk to you. When I got on the podcast, they were like, I want to, we want to talk to you about imposter syndrome. And I was like, that's interesting. Why are you talking to, well, I didn't say this, but I was thinking, why are you talking to me about this? Because um, I think we've started to use the, the phrase imposter syndrome as a blanket phrase for a whole lot of different feelings. You know, when it was first introduced to me, when I first read a little bit about it, what I understood it as meaning was um, being almost overcome with a feeling like, you know, being, being in a group of your peers and being almost overcome with a feeling of, oh my God, I'm a fraud in this room. Like, I'm literally a fraud, like that guy in Catch Me If You Can who was pretending to be an airline pilot. Um, and any minute now, they're going to spot me and they're going to kick me out um, or they're all going to laugh at me. Like that deer in the headlights feeling. Um, and this is a real thing for some people and it's terrifying. I feel like I can at least somewhat relate to that feeling. I remember when I first got started in the industry, um, through almost a series of flukes, I wound up working full-time at a defense contractor on things like air traffic control systems. When I was 18 years old, I had a little bit of community college under my belt. No degree. I never would acquire a degree. Uh, and I was in amongst all of these very experienced engineers who were working on things that literally kept planes from running into each other and, or from shooting each other down, depending on the project. And they knew all of these terms and all of these concepts and they could navigate this world of business and government contracts with ease. And I absolutely felt like a fraud in that context. And to a degree, though, that was kind of justified. Like, it was a weird thing that I was even there. Normally, I would not have been there unless I had gone through at least four years of college and had acquired at least a few of those terms and buzzwords that they were all familiar with. Um, you know, so it was almost almost justified. It wasn't it wasn't an out of the blue feeling. It wasn't this thing that a lot of people feel um, where they are 
one of the smartest people in the room, and yet they still feel like an imposter, like a fraud. I'm afraid that the overuse of the word imposter syndrome or the phrase imposter syndrome causes us to trivialize those feelings for the people that genuinely have them. Like I've heard it used almost as a synonym for inferiority complex, which is a different thing. I've heard it used as a synonym for modesty or false modesty. You know, the sort of self-deprecation. Oh, no, no, you know, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not that much of an expert. You know, I'm just, I'm just, just another programmer. That's not imposter syndrome when you think you're, you know, you're not an expert. Um, it might be modesty. It might be self-deprecation. It's not imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is something much scarier, I think. And I think we need to rem remember that and recognize it and look out for the people that might be, you know, feeling the real deal. Um, and I think, I think certain populations in our industry are particularly um, at risk for it, um, particularly uh, marginalized, underrepresented, marginalized people are um, they're at risk for it because they might be the most qualified person in the room, but they might look around and think, you know, and feel their mind going, nobody here looks like me. Nobody here talks like me. Nobody here moves like me. Um, nobody here has the same shared cultural background with me. I don't belong here. Even though they might be the most, one of the most qualified people in the room. I think that's a little different from just feeling, you know, feeling a little underqualified or feeling a little inferior or being self-deprecating. Also, and Jessica Kerr says, there's a thing with the word, with the phrase imposter syndrome that kind of puts it onto the person who has it. You know, it's because it's, it's a syndrome that they have. It's a problem that they have. And when you feel out of place, when you feel like a fraud because nobody, because you can't see yourself in the people that are around you, even though you're qualified to be there, that's not a syndrome. That's not a th disease that you have. That's a problem of welcoming. It's a problem of inclusion. It's a problem of not other people not opening their arms enough and encouraging enough and saying, yes, you belong here enough. And as she puts it, one of the best things that we can do to combat this is to remember to say to each other, I'm glad you're here. Some book notes on Understanding Systems by Hans von, Heinz von Ferster. I maybe I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Von Ferster says, in my work, the notion of computing has nothing to do with numerical phenomenon. Let's have a closer look at the word to compute. It comes from the Latin word computare, which means that things are brought together in a relationship. Com stands for together, and putare means contemplate, consider. My use of the term computing is in this very general sense. There are several stimuli and impressions that have entered the inside of the person and are brought together in a relationship. 
And for me, that means that the processes in the nervous system should be understood as a process of computing. He's talking about um, the way reality is constructed um, from, from nerve impressions. Um, but it also reminds me of some of my own exploration of how to model things uh, in computer programs and how to model, how to discover the narratives that are useful to model for facilitating a system. And one of the things that I found was it is, it's misleading to try to model things, things that exist in the world. Those things don't need to be modeled because they are already things. Um, where computers add value is where they model the relationships, the invisible between the things. And thus, person becomes a very problematic thing to model because persons already exist in the world and we wind up with an inconsistent, spotty, and usually gigantic representation of them. But when we represent the narratives that, that exist um, in relationship, um, things like employment, things like contract, things like um, purchase order, these relationships and the processes of these relationships, those are the concepts that are useful to model and often much better constrained than when we try to model the things themselves. And that is the cash flush for this week. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, tell your friends, leave a review, all that good stuff. If you want to find out more about the show and all the other stuff that I do, you can find me online at avdi.codes. That's A-V-D-I.codes. You can also find me on Twitter as A-V-D-I. If you want to support me putting out more of these, you can find me on Patreon as uh, patreon.com slash avdigrim. A-V-D-I-G-R-I-M-M. And if you want to leave me a message that I can respond to on the show, you can do that too. Just go to anchor.fm and grab their app, and it gives you a way to record a message and send it to me. It's pretty cool. All right, well, thanks for listening, and don't forget to flush. Flush.